So, Bobby, we talk a lot on this podcast about rather outdated ways of thinking about how the the game is being played today. Um, and so, in that spirit, in, in following our, our favorite beat, I just want to read you off a, a quote, a real live quote that was said on the on the Braves broadcast by Jeff Francoeur this past week that uh, that I think is right up our alley. Jeff Francoeur, what? I know that's a throwback, yeah. man. I had it's him on my 2008 MLB The Show team. I know, right? That's a that's a name we haven't heard in a long time. <laughs> all right, hit me with it. Okay, he goes. Don't get me wrong. We all love the home run stats. But I love double stats, too, because to me, you're just keeping rallies going. You're keeping the line moving. Not that you won't take home runs, but, he says, sometimes home runs are rally killers. <laughs> oh, it's Wonderful. been a minute since I've heard a home run is a rally killer take. That You know, honestly, I... Home runs are rally killer takes are almost like unicorns at this point. And like, I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure if they actually exist. Um, they're just kind of something that gets thrown around. But Jeff Francoeur in 2018 was bold enough to come out and just, and just pour his heart out into this. So bless you, Jeff Francoeur. Let's go back. Maybe we'll make this into an article because this is too, way too much math for me to figure out right now. Let's go back. Let's take out every home run Jeff Francoeur ever hit in his career and turn it into a double and then readjust his OPS and see what his <laughs> OPS would have been for his career. See if he likes it then. Yeah, so true. Yeah, we gotta we really <laughs> should do that with every single uh every single former baseball player who like rags on the way the game is played today. Just like uh just like readjust their stats and be like, All right, you uh you don't like all these strikeouts, John Smoltz, we'll get rid of uh, half of your strikeouts for your career. <laughs> Yeah, let's go back and turn um, Keith Hernandez's like all of his go-ahead home runs. Let's turn them into singles the other way. <laughs> Just fucking singles the other way, man. My man Keith cannot stop talking on the Mets broadcast about how not enough people hit the other way in two-strike scenarios anymore. Yeah, yeah. But we'll get to Keith later. We'll get to Keith later. For now, I'm Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Paisley, and this is Tipping Pitches. <laughs> Alex, Tipping Pitches is the podcast that supports any and every indie ball manager getting ejected, hitting a fake home run, and trotting around the bases to live (laughs) up his life after getting ejected. (laughs) With the third base, and Hobson's been ejected by Daryl Cooper. And now he'll get his money's worth as he's out there. He's going to grab the bat from Edwin Arroyo. Oh, he's going to take some hacks in the box. He's going to show Cooper what the check swing was really about. Oh, here goes Hobson. He's going to hit a home run and a little bat flip. Now he's going to take a trot around the bases. He hits first. He's still going. (laughs) This, I, I, I have this up right now, and I'm just watching it. It is truly 
truly something special. I mean, really, it's incredible. He takes it so seriously. I mean, that trot, <laughs> the, the, he high fives the guy around third. I mean, <laughs> this is wonderful. So, I'm just going to give a brief synopsis. Chicago Dogs and the Sioux City Explorers were playing. They're both indie league teams. First of all, the Chicago Dogs sounds like a team that I named in third grade. <laughs> the Dogs... You couldn't come up with a better name than that? (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know what the call was that he was so mad about, but the video starts with him arguing with the umpire and he gets ejected and he decides he's going to pick up the bat from the player who had just gotten called out or whatever and hit a pretend home run as you would in your living room when you're a five-year-old. And uh, he takes a trotter on the bases. He high fives the third base coach he runs back into the dugout and the team celebrates with him as if he were a player who had hit the home run. <laughs> this takes that like incredible Braves minor league celebration where the guy or not celebration, <laughs> the incredible Braves minor league meltdown where the guy like pretended like the rosin bag was a grenade. Oh and, man, yeah. <laughs> that was an all timer. So that that's this is like the non militarized version of that. This is the non united states industrial complex version of that yeah and i'm here for it (laughs) i i respect it because this isn't even like getting the umpire's face and like yell and swear at him disrespect this is like him saying yeah this is my field and i'm gonna take my time doing this and you're gonna sit here and and watch me do this and there is not a single thing that you can do about it sometimes the manager ejections are are really kind of overwrought and you can tell the manager's just trying way too hard he's kicking the dirt you know you pick up the base and you throw it and i'm like all right dude this is tired this has been done but i've never seen anything like this so so put this man in the ejections hall of fame yeah well we should say his name it's butch hobson yeah great baseball name too my god yeah seriously the team loved it i loved it i just want to say Butch, you're the manager of Tipping Pitches Podcast now. (laughs) (laughs) Butch. All right, but we have to move on because we tend to do this thing on this podcast where we describe things that are, you know, visual. (laughs) (laughs) And like we did it with the Ramon Laureano thing and I think it was our last episode or maybe two episodes ago. So we're not going to spend any more time. We're not going to spend any more breath on this situation. Uh, We'll put a link to it in the description. Y'all can go watch it. I suppose that's the that's the trouble with doing an audio podcast about a an and nearly exclusively visual thing is that most of the time we're just describing things that you could probably go up and look for yourself. Yeah. But then you wouldn't hear us, you know, share our take on it. Um <laughs> speaking of things we have takes on. <laughs> <laughs> I have some takes on the Braves hosting a fundraiser with gubernatorial candidate Brian Kemp. Here's how Kemp described himself in a campaign ad. Quote, he's got a big truck just in case I need to round up criminal illegals and take them home myself. (sighs) Kemp refers to himself as a politically incorrect conservative, and the Atlanta Braves are joint hosting a fundraiser for him. They put $13,200 into this event. Jesus Christ. You know what we call a politically incorrect conservative around these parts? We call that racism, folks. That's what racism is. Yeah. I mean, I want to talk about this with you. There's like, we were talking a little before we got on air, but like, there's not an incredibly nuanced conversation to be had about this, but I think it's at least worth mentioning that the Atlanta Braves are good this year in large part because 
of a couple players on their team who are from South American countries. And then they put on events like this where the gubernatorial candidate considers anyone from a South American country to be an illegal in America. It's not hard to find where several teams' political and monetary interests lie. Right. Well, I mean, it really underscores this fact that like sports and and baseball, like they are inherently political. And so many fans, I think, try and and draw that line. You know, it's like whether it's kneeling for the flag or anything like that. It's like, okay, well, you can like have your opinions, but like don't sully the sport with them. Like this is this is not a place for political commentary or anything like that. And it's like you pretend like these teams and these agents of these teams and, and all that sort of thing don't have political opinions themselves and use them to leverage. I mean, they leverage these positions um, to support someone like uh, this uh, Kemp guy for governor. The MLB's commissioner's office has a slush fund that uh, GMs from around the league, people from around the league donate to and then gets dispersed uh, throughout so that you can't tell where the money is going. But all every decision these, these people make is inherently political. Um, and this is just further proof of that. Not to mention the fact that a lot of those political ideologies happen to be uh, less than savory, shall we say. Not only are teams like symbolically political, but uh, Deadspin hyperlinks to uh, the media.ethics.ga.gov. So like the actual government data of campaign finance reports, right? Um, like the contribution reports. And it's literally Atlanta Braves, P.O. Box 4064, Atlanta, Georgia. It is the team is the contributor's name. Yeah. And to like a slew of just uh, Republican conservative candidates. And it's like, okay. I'm not surprised that teams donate to Republican candidates. Nothing about that surprises me at all because they're billion dollar entities. But to say that like certain political things shouldn't be brought up in locker rooms and then to donate the money from the organization to political candidates is just, it's talking out of, it's like, it takes the phrase talking out of both sides of your mouth to an entirely different (laughs) extent. And then also, you know, not even, that's not even mentioning like a lot of the quote unquote patriotic displays at baseball games that are like, I don't even know what the word to describe is. It's like borderline propaganda. It's really, it makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, there, I, yeah, the, the rampant like militarism and everything like that. I mean, I was at the A's game. I mean, I'm home. I should say I'm home back in California for the week. And so obviously I've gone to three A's games. Um, because that's impressive, you know, uh, half the reason I came home, but they were doing uh, native American. The other heritage. half is like Mac and cheese. Yeah, exactly. And families, uh, and Ethiopian know, food. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, the, the other night was uh native American heritage night. And so they had this like really kind of impressive show before the game and everyone cheered and they had some really cool shirts designed and all that sort of thing. Um, and then, you know, without fail, everyone stood up and put their hand over their heart for the national anthem. And it was like, you understand that, like, all these things run contrary to each other. Like, like everything you do and say is undercut by the fact that you just kind of blindly salute this flag. And, you know, it's not just it's not just the national anthem. It's I mean, te- ultimately, teams kind of do whatever is in their best interests for their on-field product. And then everything beyond that, they don't really care. They care about the people who are going to save their money and, and all that thing. So I don't know, man. Yeah. I mean, the tough thing to grapple with is that uh, 
like we're in the minority of people who feel that way when the national anthem plays you know the majority of baseball fans are like that's like a great moment for them yeah and then like almost every team now has like a military hero of the game yeah and oftentimes it's like a world war ii veteran who's like uh like very old and like you know served in world war ii and korea and probably was drafted and this is like a really complicated conversation to have but i think in a more general sense it's just it's weird yeah it's like a weird pairing to exist and and can i just and can i just say real quick maybe the biggest problem that i have with it frankly is that the national anthem doesn't even slap like come on man (laughs) you're gonna make me sit oh it's like it just drags and drags and drags and i'm like come on like give me a little like i don't know Give America me, the Beautiful. Yeah, but yeah. honestly, actually, that's what my mom suggested, frankly. This is a good <laughs> song. Well, anyway. Yeah, your mom has good music taste. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the Braves are bad. The Atlanta Braves organization is bad. The players on the team are good, and we support them. Yeah. So I was just joking with you that we should start just reading ads, even though no no one pays us money to do that. And that's like kind of the whole point of advertisements is that the podcaster makes money. Um, But if we actually had to make ads, it would be today's episode of Tipping Pitches is brought to you by a baseball player doing a really offensive thing and us talking about it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, if, if, You've, if you listen to this podcast enough, you may come off thinking, well, wow, these guys really just hate the game of baseball. Hate baseball. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but like, trust me when, when I say that, like, that is not it. Like, we talk about these things because we love baseball. And it is something that we, deeply with all of our hearts, like, we want to make a, a better, more inclusive space. So, but uh, if that means a, a flurry of uncomfortable conversations along the way, then so be it. There are a lot of podcasts that talk about how great baseball is, you know, and how great certain players are. And we used to do that. And we still do that to some extent. Like, we'll gush about, you know, Acuna or real all-star caliber players like Tim Tebow. Or, uh, like, we had a whole fucking episode about players we enjoy watching <laughs> hit home runs. Yeah, And that's come up, like, a couple times in the last couple of weeks. But I think as this podcast has sort of grown over the last... I guess over a year that we've been doing it now, it's just still kind of crazy. I think the things that matter to talk about are things that we don't hear talked about enough. This is in a way become like cathartic for me yeah. to like talk to you every week about these things. And because like personally while watching baseball, it's just, it's hard to grapple with a lot of these things and you know, not to d- get too personal, but the next thing we're going to talk about is Daniel Murphy getting traded to the Cubs. And as a Mets fan, like, this was something I had to kind of grapple with as my entire time uh, or my entire time rooting for the team. 2015 was, you know, the year that the Mets went to the world series, but also that spring training, I believe was the year that he gave those quotes saying that he didn't agree with the homosexual lifestyle, I think was the way he phrased it. Yeah. And so that sort of confluence of terrible and incredible events where the Mets made the world series and in large part due to Daniel Murphy hitting a home run every time he came up to bat, I don't know. 
talking to you about these things at least makes me feel better about enjoying baseball the rest of the week. And so <laughs> if that makes for a depressing podcast at times, I'm sorry, but uh, I feel like these things need to be talked about. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, without further ado, let's talk about Daniel Murphy. Yeah, Daniel Murphy, the Washington Nationals are in the midst of a fire sale. Yeah, they are. Finally, geez. I know, I know. What a You could do a, a fucking 10-episode a narrative podcast about this iteration of the Nationals and God, how they never quite made it. We honestly should do that, but whatever. They Daniel Murphy's a free agent next year. The Nationals are giving up on the season essentially, like they came up and said they came out and said that. And so they traded Daniel Murphy to the Cubs, a team that has proven time and time again that they don't give a shit about morality, and this is just the latest instance of that. And they did it right before Pride Night, which is just like a double slap in the face to people who care about other people. <laughs> um and people who care about the LGBT community. You know, we had Kelly on a couple of weeks ago and she is a Cubs fan and she is a member of the LGBT community and I've just, you know, just following her tweets recently, it's just it's a lot of that thing that I was just talking about earlier. It's just that the, that impossible feeling of rooting for someone that you can't possibly understand their views or or you can't possibly relate to how they have no sympathy or empathy for certain communities. It's just, it's terrible. I've hate, I've hated to watch that unfold. Right. Well, especially like someone who denies you your own humanity in a certain respect. Right. And I'm not going to pretend to like know what that feels like, but I can't imagine that feels very good. Right. Like you were sitting there rooting for some, for someone and your team is a essentially condoning what he said in some regard because they don't, I mean, they don't really care. I mean, it's all about baseball at the end of the day, right? And so if he thinks that uh, being gay is a lifestyle, which for the record, it's not. Like, if you think that's the case, please stop listening to this episode. Um, yeah, well, but like, his quote was, for that was kind of like a quick reference to his actual quote. His quote was, I disagree with his lifestyle. I do disagree with the fact that Billy is a homosexual. He was referring to Billy being who is the head of like MLB's diversity and inclusion initiative. He's a former MLB player and he came out as gay after he retired. So sorry to cut you off, but like I wanted to give some context to that quote. He literally said, I do disagree with the fact that Billy is a homosexual. Yeah. And he said, he said, oh, but like that doesn't mean that I, I can't like get to know him and like invest in him and all these things. Like, I don't think that means so that I should shut the door on like getting to know him. And he, you know, he's basically saying, like, I think you can accept him, but like disagree with his his lifestyle. And that's the I don't know, the fact that the I don't necessarily have an eloquent take about this, but the fact that the Cubs would essentially would do something like this, especially on the eve of Pride Night, is abhorrent to me. And, you know, like I was saying, I can't imagine what it's like to kind of be be faced with that dilemma every day, right? And have the thing that you love just kind of be tainted uh, a little bit. And I'm sure that like, you know, I mean, you could have similar conversations about when the the Cubs traded for like Araldis Chapman or something like that. It's, yeah. it's difficult. At some point, someone needs to have the conversation about how they're just, I mean, I guess people are probably having this conversation, but like, it's not anywhere in the mainstream about how there are no openly gay baseball players. None. Yeah. Like at the MLB level, right? I mean, there have been a couple, like there was Sean Conroy for the Sonoma Stompers, which is like well chronicled in Ben Lindbergh and Sam Miller's book, The Only Rule Is It Has to Work. And he was like, I believe the first 
just professional player to come out like while he was still playing right. at the time and that was like not even that long ago and i don't know like places cover pride night as a thing teams do pride nights you know we've talked about the cubs one it's august 26th coming up and it's it's called out at wrigley the nation's original mlb gay day it's tough like that on one day of the year they can sort of acquit themselves of these things by having these days and saying we care about these things and um, you know, we work with Billy Bean, but then like clearly the other 364 days of the year, they're fostering a culture where players don't feel comfortable or safe coming out or like not even coming out, but just like existing as themselves, existing as people when like quotes like Murphy's can kind of just go over. And I'm sure like the team never really had a conversation about that quote. Yeah. And yeah. I think you're right to to just kind of bring up that you know we haven't had a a, a gay baseball player yet, and I think that we're probably uh, quite a ways from it because people still feel safe to harbor these views and and talk about them. And I saw on on Twitter um, a few weeks ago, Brandon McCarthy was um, kind of getting into it with some people. I think this was this was in the wake of like the the Sean Newcomb thing, and. Um, uh, some people were saying, you know, like this is like this is precisely why we don't have any gay players in the MLB is uh, because or or if and not that we necessarily don't have one, but don't have a, an out gay player in the MLB um, because mm-hmm. uh, oh, we almost certainly have gay players in the MLB, right? Like we almost certainly have members of the LGBTQ community in the MLB, and they don't get to actively participate in those communities, and that's tragic. It's truly right. tragic, which is not a word that I feel comfortable saying often, but like it's one of the greatest tragedies in sports. Yeah. And, you know, some people were rightfully sharing that take and being like, the reason we, these players don't feel comfortable coming out is because players feel comfortable coming out and saying these negative um, things about gay people. And, um, and it creates a bad locker room environment. Like, I can't imagine. Um, you know, a, a gay player would feel comfortable talking about this stuff in the clubhouse. And Mary McCarthy was saying, no, like, that's not the reason. This is not the reason that, like, we don't have an out player. Um, that I know I've been in plenty of locker rooms that, like, would be totally accepting to this sort of thing. And it's like, yeah, dude, but, like, that's not what it looks like from here. And I can't imagine that that's what it looks like as a player. Like, if, like, if we still allow players to not only harbor these views – but feel comfortable enough to come out and say it with no repercussions, then what makes you think that a a player would feel comfortable like going up in opposition to that and and knowing how much it would rock the boat in in some sense because the media would make a firestorm out of it and be like, you know, like how is it? How are things like in the in the clubhouse with you, this and that? The reason is because like we don't treat it just like it's something that's normal yet, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, as you were saying that, I was sort of thinking like on the flip side of that, like the the views, the abhorrent views of like Daniel Murphy and uh, Sean Newcomb and uh, Trey Turner and all these different things that have come out in the last little bit. When are we going to start treating that like an like a red flag? You know, like teams red flag shit about guys all the time. Like, oh, he's a partier. Oh, he's lazy. He comes in out of shape. Oh, he, you know, he's not agreeable. He doesn't take coaching well. When are we going to start flagging like actually offensive views that make people who are gay or are uh, black or are um, Latino players make those people feel uncomfortable? Like 
Daniel Murphy's views make someone in MLB feel uncomfortable. We don't know who because there's not a culture where there's an environment where people feel safe coming out. And like, that is a problem, right? Like if you were a guy who was just, if you fought every left-handed player on your team, or you said, I don't agree with left-handed players. I don't want to be on a team with left-handed players. Like that'd be adverse for your team. Yeah. And like a team would flag that as a problem. And that's something that like Fernando talked about guys getting getting typecasted for having negative attitudes guys getting typecasted him getting typecasted for being from the ivy league and like coaches trying to beat that out of him and that stigma following him around for a long time like why don't we make daniel murphy's homophobic views as stigmatized and unacceptable as anything else because if we don't do that then we're never going to make it okay for people to come out like it's never going to be just it's never going to be something that's fine for people it's never going to be something where where that stuff gets quashed early enough that like someone in Daniel Murphy's locker room could feel like coming out. Yeah, I think you're right. And I, I frankly don't have a lot of hope, at least for the the near future, because I think that literally always, as we have seen, um, it's really what matters, what you can do on the field. And if you do stuff off the field that doesn't like directly impact that play, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you could someone could try and make an impassioned case that this is damaging your product, which is like a really shitty way to talk about like basic human decency. Um, but I, I, I don't, I don't know, man. I, I, I have very little hope that things will will change in the in the near future. This kind of gets back to the conversation that we had about players' tweets, right? Is that there's no infrastructure for education, proactive education for players. It just it doesn't exist anywhere. Diversity training is the punishment, which is insane. It's truly an insane way of looking at things. And and this is just like America at large, right? It's just like we treat having to learn about shit as a punishment. And we treat several types of education as a punishment. And that's just like that's not okay. Like MLB professional sports organizations if they want to uphold themselves as positive for youth and as rays of light in communities and all these different these different bullshit things that they pr themselves into if they really want to do that then they need to flip the conversation to be actually furthering conversations about education on these issues i mean you know you're not going to change daniel murphy's mind or whatever because he's just like a bigoted person and his religion makes him that way and I doubt that you're going to take the religion out of Daniel Murphy and you're not going to take the religion out of a lot of these guys because baseball is uh, statistically overrepresentative of Christianity and Catholicism in this country. It's like a 90 something percent of baseball <laughs> players are like very religious and like including guys that I love and support like Brandon Nimmo. Like I'm, I'm worried that he harbors some of these views from time to time. I think about that. But like. There is no infrastructure to teach a guy like Daniel Murphy or even a guy who's not as devoutly bigoted as Daniel Murphy, even just a guy who like comes from Wyoming and has truly never met a gay person who felt comfortable coming out, you know? There's no infrastructure to teach them how to talk about this. Like Daniel Murphy's quote was, I do disagree with the fact that Billy is a homosexual. Beyond the fact that that's an insanely bigoted statement, that just proves to me that he doesn't understand what sexuality is. You can't disagree with someone's sexuality. That's just denying them who they are. And that's like, 
how can you tell Billy Bean what he feels and and who he prefers to be with in a sexual capacity? Like he doesn't have the language to talk about this concept to interact with other players who feel this way or interact with other players who are members of the LGBT community. Like no baseball player has the language and the interpersonal skills to do these things. Yeah. And that's MLB's fault. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree with you there. I want I should use this uh, time to, uh, to plug the Twitter account, queer fancy stats, which is run by uh, Jen Rubenstein And what she does is basically she pledges money to LGBTQ community organizations uh, based on Daniel Murphy's stats, which is, first of all, a wonderful and unique and clever idea. Um, And she's been doing this since since 2015, which is pretty wild that it has had to go on this long. And I also will say that I don't think that even Daniel Murphy did anything after he made these comments. Like he made these comments and we were all just kind of like, oh, wow, that was kind of a dick thing to say. Like there was no sensitivity training. There was no nothing like that. So not even the like the bare minimum that he could try and hit. We've seen nothing that would indicate any sort of progression of his views since then. So things are good. Things are good. Always good. We like we mentioned earlier how we like love baseball and we don't actually hate the game and even though this podcast is often talk about things we hate and then we proceeded to just continue to talk about things we hate for like 25 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I know. We, I'm, I'm looking at the schedule and I'm like, wow, this is really kind of a tough one this week. This is going to be a real kind of down ranty episode, but you know, yeah. some, sometimes it's like oh, that. Well. Sometimes you just have those kind of weeks. Let's just power through it. Yeah. Um. So we've been off for about uh, I think like 10 days because we both had busy weekends and you know you were flying home and I'm excited to maybe talk some A's a little bit later to kind of relieve the uh, the mood of this podcast but for now let's uh, let's talk about something that we missed while we were off which is Ronald Acuna getting beamed by Jose Urania. Acuna's hit 12 homers 24 RBIs and 25 runs scored leading off and he got smoked on the very first pitch. Chad Fairchild right out in front of the plate. Acuna tosses the helmet down and now in a crouch on the third baseline. The very first pitch of the game nails Ronald Acuna Jr. And now the Braves are coming out of their dugout looking at Urania. And now both benches are going to empty. Every take to have about the situation has sort of been had at this point. But um, we just want to talk about it real quick because like Keith Hernandez threw gas on the fire afterwards. And uh, oh, boy, Keith, has been someone, <laughs> Keith has been someone that I have spent a lot of time listening to and have had some great moments with as a Mets fan. But just generally, he made an ass of himself in the situation. Uh, do you want to give us the, the quick drive-by summary of what happens? Yeah, so basically, if you didn't know, uh, Ronald Acuna is very good, very good baseball player. Uh, In fact, you could argue that he is uh, already cementing himself among the the best, youngest, brightest stars in the game. And he's particularly been having a very good August. Uh, He had a stretch where he blasted eight home runs in eight games. So you could say he's good. You could say he's going to make a push for the Rookie of the Year. Now, most baseball teams would say, wow, we looks like we got to try a little harder to get this guy out, rejigger our game plan a little bit. But 
the Marlins pitcher, Jose Urania, decided, I'm not going to do that. What I'm going to do is throw a 98-mile-per-hour fastball at his elbow and see if that slows him down instead. Uh, which, if you have a brain, is a really dumb, stupid, cowardly thing to do to someone who is you think is just too good at the sport. Like, can you explain the the rationale behind this to me? Because I still don't, I still don't really quite get why anyone anyone would go to bat for something like this. So I think that's what Keith Hernandez tried to do is explain the rationale behind it. He didn't do a very good job. What he said was, Acuna's been killing them recently. You got to do it. You just got to hit them. They're killing you. You've lost three games. Right. He's hit three home runs. You got to hit them. I'm sorry. I mean, people are not going to like that. But, you know, if you, you got to you hit them, knock them down. At least, I mean, seriously knock them down if you don't hit them. And you never throw at the, anybody's head. You never throw at anybody's head or neck. You, you hit him in the back. You hit him in the fanny. And that was like basically all of his logic but if i'm to read further into that and to be to be the beanball advocate of this podcast right now i think the thinking is that if you hit someone it'll make them uncomfortable and therefore will make them less likely to get a hit off you or to continue to just rake off you i just I disagree with the premise that hitting someone you I disagree with the premise that you have to hit someone to make them uncomfortable as a batter. Right? Like right. I, I disagree with that from like a it's very dangerous to throw projectiles at people perspective. But I also disagree with that as someone who was a pitcher. There are other ways of getting batters off balance, making them uncomfortable, changing the pace of a bat of an at bat. Like I think of a guy like uh Johnny Cueto, who's really good at getting uh, hitters uncomfortable and out of their rhythm without just like hitting them with a fastball up and in. I think of a guy like Jacob deGrom who's been working really fast this year and he's been working up in the zone, which is something that, you know, guys haven't been used to seeing from him in the past because a lot of Dan Worthen was work down in the zone, get that hard slider down in the zone. And so he's mixed up his pitching and not to like wax poetic about pitching, but I love I'm a fucking nerd about pitching and I truly think it's like an art form and essentially when guys do this when guys bean other players I really think it's just like not to be crude but like it's basically taking a piss all over that art form because it's like there are so many other ways you could accomplish this same effect within the confines of the game without injuring someone and this is just like the lazy coward's way out of doing that. It's like you weren't actually good enough to get them off guard, and so you needed to try to hurt him. Right. It's like that. I think that yeah, that last point is important because all these guys talk about you know the people who defend this are like oh well like this is like just the tough way to play the game and like if you want to play like that's just this is just like it's part of the game like sometimes you got to like brush someone off the plate a little bit or like plunk them but when you do this what you're essentially saying is you're like well you beat me. I am not good enough to beat you. Um, therefore, I'm going to do something that is outside the the confines of the rules of the game to slow you down a bit because you are just a better baseball player than me. And my what my ego can't take that or something. Like I, one would think that 
the the you know like masculine like not soft way to go about it is like punish him with a fastball or something like that and and that's like the smart way to go about it too that's like the humane way to go about it and keith was keith's rationale was like well you know you never want to go for the head or anything like that like always like plunk him in the back or plunk him in the thigh or something like that um you just want to do something to like send him a little message or something like that but like you know what sending him a message would be like strike him out man like show him that you are better than him and you can beat him like send him back to the bench I don't know. It's like, you know, undercutting someone in basketball or something like that. Like what's the, like really you yeah. had to, you had to go out and, and do something to, that to cause potential injury to someone just because you couldn't stand that he was beating you too much. Like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't like calling things soft, but that's just like, that's, that's soft, man. I was going to compare it actually to basketball. Like you did. It's almost like getting beat on like a crossover or something and someone like makes you fall. And you just kind of like follow them under the basket and just cut their legs out. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like a perfect analogy. I also just like, if we're just to throw morality out of this conversation for a second, because, you know, some people <laughs> always, only a, always a good to, phrase. <laughs> yeah. Some people, this, this podcast has a lot of morality. So yeah. we'll, we'll throw it out for a sec. Some people only listen to practicality. That's fine. I could be a practical guy. So I'm Jose Urena for a sec. Let's just say I don't get ejected for hitting Ronald Acuna. I hit Ronald Acuna. Whatever, I've hit him in the arm, and he turns out to be fine, God willing. Um, or I hit him in the thigh, or like Keith says, I hit him in the back, whatever, I don't go for his head. That's all fine. I give him a little stinger. The next time, it's 2018, so you know I've heard a million times that baseball games take four hours, so it's another hour before he comes up to bat. How much does that still hurt, A? And B, does he think that I'm going to hit him again? Am I going to hit him intentionally twice? Because I doubt that he thinks that. And Ronald Acuna has taken thousands of at-bats in his life. He's not afraid of the baseball. So if he doesn't think I'm going to hit him again, and he's not afraid of the baseball, how have I made his next at-bat any worse? Why didn't I just intentionally walk him? Yeah. He knows I'm not going to hit him, so he knows that I have to throw him a strike. So now, if anything, logically speaking, um, if we're talking about like you know rudimentary game theory here, Ronald Acuna knows I have to throw him a strike or I get ejected by hitting him again or I walk him. None of those scenarios are a good outcome for me as Jose Urania. So we've thrown morality out the door other than throwing a projectile that could kill someone at them. If we forget that part of the conversation, it's just not even a good fucking strategy, dude. Yeah. Oh, let's put the leadoff batter on first base. This is this is actually going to end well. I want to give your chance, your team a better chance to score some runs off of my team, but it's not going to be me because I'm going to be out of the game anyway. So it's the it's the next pitcher's fault or whatever. Yeah, there's literally there's no logical good outcome in any of this. Like it's not going to scare Acuna, right? Like like you were saying, you're not going to hit him every time you come up. So Acuna's not going to be going up there like quivering in his boots uh again he might do that if you struck him out or like showed that you could beat him yeah. like, that, like come yeah. on. if you threw him a filthy fucking curveball the next time he would come up you're like i don't want to see that curveball again yeah exactly then then you've thrown him off a little bit he's not coming up the second time being like i'm afraid of this guy's fastball he's the best fucking rookie hitter i've ever seen in my life him and juan soto and it's wild that they're playing in the same season yeah, he's not afraid of a fastball. Yeah, if any, he's, just, he's not. 
if anything, wouldn't it like kind of embolden you a little bit? Like, you know, you yes. know that you're so good that the other team needs to literally hit you. It needs to hurt you uh, to slow you down. You're like, you're like, hell yeah, I'm the shit, man. Like that gives you a little <laughs> bit of a fire in your belly. You come out next time. You're like, I want to show you guys who's boss. I, the more I think this through, the more I'm like, I really do not see the rationale behind this. I know that we don't need to like spend 20 minutes talking about this because it's objectively wrong, but ugh. It's wild, man. I it's know. wild. I know. Uh, I bet Jeff Francois supports this. It's a rally <laughs> killer. You hit someone, it kills their rally. Yeah, it is a rally killer. Ugh. Home runs and hit by pitches are just big time rally killers. All right. Uh, we need to take a quick break because we've been saying a lot of words for a long time. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about another shitty thing where uh, teams make fans feel bad for not coming to their games. who've been following baseball the last few weeks uh the a's are good the (laughs) a's are doing real good and i do just want to take a moment to uh briefly talk about them because they are fun and they are good and they're all my my big beautiful sons and i love them very much and they've been flirting with first place uh in fact for a brief like 25 minutes or so Last night, until the Astros won again, uh, they had first place all to themselves, which my uh, my hot take at the beginning of the season was 87 wins, and they're on pace for like 97 at this point. So uh, <laughs> That's like a legitimately great season. Like if they were to <laughs> win know. 97, it's like legitimately That's not, that's not stumbling into team. a while. I know, yeah. That's not like the Mets winning the NL East when the Nationals collapsed and their right. pitching staff like dragged them to the World Series. That's like a legit like they're a great fucking team. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, yeah. Um, too wait, bad. can I get a quick quick interjection? Yeah, I get MLB notifications to my phone for the Mets, the A's, and then the third team is the Yankees because I just never shut it off from when I worked at Newsday. Yeah, and I you know I needed to get all New York sports to my phone or whatever, and so I saw an injury update for Aroldis Chapman two or three days ago and it said chapman exits game early or whatever and because i get a's notifications i was like oh my god it's matt chapman <laughs> he's hurt he's hurt his knee everything is ruined and then i saw that it was Aroldis chapman and i was basically elated afterwards because <laughs> Aroldis chapman's a piece of shit <laughs> anyway go ahead uh yeah i i really hope that that nothing happens down the stretch and i, I know something will like i know that that Things are not as rosy as they seem, but you know, for now, I am I'm embracing it. I'm an A's fan, and I am I'm embracing this team, and I and I like it. But there has been a lot of hand wringing in recent weeks over the A's attendance, and these are drums that have been beat by the media. It was kind of sparked uh, in part by Matt Chapman actually making a a plea on t- on the local broadcast after the game, saying. Uh, and, you know, we'd love to get some a- some fans out here in the stands. We're really fun to watch. Um, we, you know, it loved to, we'd love to like get people out here and get people excited, um, which is 
you know, I mean, in, in in any circumstance, that sounds that almost sounds a little pathetic. It's not a good look when you have uh, your players pleading for your fans to come out. Um, I think that makes no one involved uh, look good. Um, but consequently, it, it's gotten a lot of people kind of riled up over like over people having to like attend the, the the ballpark. It's gotten a lot of people riled up about the fact that like A's attendance is kind of generally mediocre this year. I mean, it's been trending up, but like they are not packing the ballpark like you would expect a first place team to be. And I saw this uh, last night too. Um, a, uh, a beat writer for a Chicago newspaper um, said that if fans don't pack the ballpark for Michael Kopech's debut, who's their top pitching prospect, um, then the this rebuild was for nothing and the White Sox should just tear it down. That's a crazy take. Absolutely. It's blazing hot. That is bonkers, my guy. That is bonkers. Yeah. And but it's it's like they're not good. <laughs> Still and you just think, I don't know. Yeah. If, if fans don't pack the stadium for when Michael Kopech is starting and the White Sox have a chance to go to the playoffs or the White Sox are playing whoever to get to first place, then the rebuild was for nothing. In the season that they're still bad, if on a whim in the middle of the week when Michael Michael Kopech gets called up and like people have like families and work and obligations that they weren't planning on hearing about Michael Kopech coming up, if they don't show up for that, it's not uh, the apocalypse, my guy. It's not the rapture. <laughs> chill close twitter <laughs> log out <laughs> but apparently uh, there is a sizable portion of people out there who really think that fans owe it to teams to show up to the ballpark and like i have you know i've ranted to no end about my family to this and so if they you know if they're listening to this they're just going to be hearing the same spiel and i think they're largely on my side i don't mean to speak for them i like to think about <laughs> you ranting about this in your sleep <laughs> i really <laughs> <words>. do <laughs> <laughs> but i it gets to this larger issue of and i saw like a's fans making this same argument and being like well the a's oakland doesn't deserve the a's you know like i'm in like i'm a huge fan and i show up but like where are all the other fans and i'm like are you freaking kidding me dude like it it gets to this larger point of fans and media and and all these people like going to bat for owners and fan bases and not understanding a lot of the complicated dynamics that go into being a sports fan and that goes for external factors like uh, where you work and where you live. Oakland is more, I mean, things are changing, but the East Bay is a more like working class city and it's not cheap to go to a baseball game. You have things like a uh, an ownership group that has, you know, threatened to leave for the last decade or something like that. And I guess that like, I don't get why we like to point the the fingers at fans and not owners i don't know what are your what i just rambled a lot what are your thoughts my first thought when you said that you see like you know people you know who are ace fans who are from oakland being like oakland doesn't deserve the a's i think that's that's truly an indefensible opinion you know talking to uh aaron dolan about their time in oakland about how much sean loved pitching in oakland um I just refer to him on a first name basis because he follows us on Twitter <laughs> about how much Sean Doolittle loved pitching in Oakland and how that town really embraced them and their activism and their work in the community and 
how they loved living there and they miss it every second, even though they also love Washington. And then hearing someone say that that Oakland doesn't deserve the A's, like Oakland truly like actual fans open their arms to this team and like the team has not deserved the fans for a lot of it, you know, selling off guys, refusing to spend the money to compete when they could, you know, being a farm system for bigger teams, like all those stereotypical jokes that you hear A's fans make, cynical A's fans make, and I've heard you make over the years and and other A's fans that I know. It's like, it really should be the other way around. Like the A's organization in a lot of ways is still lucky that Oakland loves and needs and wants them around, wants them to be that counterpart to the evil empire of the giants and the other part of the bay, you know? So that would be my initial thought. My second thought is like, yeah, we don't need to go to bat for owners ever. Um, Maybe if you want people to come to games when the team is good, keep the ticket prices the same. I'm sure the ticket prices are not the same as, you know, two years ago when you could go to an A's game. Did they do a promotion where if they keep winning, you get to keep coming or something like that? Or like you could buy tickets for an entire month. Weren't you telling me something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've done uh, similar stuff like that. I don't think the A's did the the if they keep winning, you keep coming. The incredible promotion for what it's worth. But yeah, <laughs> I thought it, oh maybe it was like the Padres. Like if they lose, you get to come back yeah, or something. Yeah, like I, think, that. I think that is what it was. <laughs> maybe I'm conflating those two. But like I think the, the A's have had a bunch of promotions that you've told me about, and like. It's certainly not when the team is at its best, right? I, I doubt that they're like, hey, everyone, kids come for free right now while the A's are about to win 95 games. Like, I don't know, man. It's just time and time again, we see owners uh, capitalize on certain moments, right? Like, this even harkens back to the conversation we had about the Cubs and Pride Night and Daniel Murphy. That's just, in a lot of ways, that's ownership just like capitalizing on a wave that a lot of people feel good about, right? It's like Pride and pride night and that kind of thing like they're doing that to seem cool to the community they're doing that to seem open to different points of view and then their actions tell differently you know if a's ownership is like you know we want more fans to pack the stadium well like give me five dollar tickets give me a dollar beer night give me dollar dog night because the a's are so good or like give me some kind of promotion where if the a's make it into first like i don't know two for one night i don't know i'm just making a promotion i don't know the economics of any of this bullshit but i don't really care because the a's have held their fans in the city of oakland hostage for a long time by threatening to move the team away and not making necessary updates to the coliseum and not advancing the plans for a stadium site while wanting to get some you know like public funding and i just think it's it's lame it's lame for now them to be like hey, we've treated you like shit in a lot of ways for the last 10, ten years, but come running back to us. Uh, Matt Chapman's good at defense. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I think that like, even still today, like I think that it's the the Coliseum is a more accessible baseball park just as an experience than other ones that I've gone to. Certainly a place like Yankee Stadium or or, or something like that. Um, like the like prices are still okay and it's still i mean it's a it's a good experience like they make it fun to come and relatively accessible although they gouge you on parking but um i i think that like <laughs> just take like a small dig <laughs> um although the peanuts i had in 2010 weren't very good <laughs> 
I got the wrong IPA today, and I'm gonna. I got it. It was it was quite a few points below my my usual go to. Um, was this a real moment? Was that a real thing? Did they really give you the wrong IPA? Uh, well, I, I I got the wrong one. I thought it was the same, but you know, it was. Oh, oh, yes, you that, ordered that the happen. wrong one. That's I, user error. Yeah, it was a user error, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I think that, like, you know, I. I this like, is what I, people I, come I, to hear. <laughs> Uh, I tweeted something out just to the effect of like, you know, we expect like fans just kind of be like the lapdog of owners and like come at their beck and call, you know, and like fans like should always be there when the team needs it. And it's like, you don't understand that like this is a relationship that it, the onus is on the owners to foster and really kind of make happen and and really be tangible and something like that fans are actually interested in doing. Like you can't just expect people to show up whenever you want them to uh, because they have other things going on. And if you make it inaccessible for them, and like this is not exclusively the A's either, right? Like this goes back to the White Sox yeah. as well, who are, you know, at the have kind of have bottomed out and are starting to come back on the upswing and have their young players going out. And it's like, but that's hard, man. Like that's hard to swallow. Sometimes it is hard to watch Chris sale get traded away for parts. Right. And yeah. so excuse me for thinking that fans might stay away for a few years. And that's like, I don't blame them one bit. Not every fan is as masochistic as you and I. Right. Like exactly, some fans yeah. are just parents who like go into the games with their kids. You know what I mean? I, I don't, I mean, maybe you'll bristle at this statement because the A's have been good a couple times over the last however many years. And there was obviously 2012 and all that different stuff. But I would say for a lot of the time over the last decade, the A's have not actually earnestly been trying to be the best they could be. Is that fair to say? Uh, I mean, they've nickled and like they've nickled and dimed the team in a lot of ways, and they've tried to spare parts the team right. I, when, yeah, like they could have easily just you know spent a little bit more money and obviously been better. Right. I think that like ownership again, it's not like not just the A's. It's like every you know. I mean, you might be familiar with this as well, right? Is like not willing to open their pockets, and so you're forced to just kind of retool every few years and just kind of make do with what you have. Yeah, yeah. that's actually that's what I was getting ready to say. It's like I feel similarly about the Mets. Is that like I will full throated support, full throatedly support this organization when they start spending like they're a team from New York. Yeah, you know what I mean. And and like the A's had the lowest payroll to start this year. They don't anymore because they've made a couple trades and a couple other teams have cut even more payroll, like the Orioles and uh, the White Sox, who we've mentioned a couple times. But like the White Sox aren't trying to be good, so why should the fans try to be there? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like why shouldn't the fans just come home from work and see their kids and Watch the t- watch the game on TV. I don't know. It's a complicated issue because, like, as like as a crazy psycho baseball fan who like, as soon as the Mets got good again, like I I went to like twenty five games that year and I had no money to even like eat because I just wanted to go to baseball games. I I can like sympathize with the fact that like, you know, you want to be there to support your team, but like, it's not really the owner's place to tell me to be there. <laughs> you know, it's the owner's place to like spend the money to fund the team and it's my choice to go there and i think the fans will be there for the a's and i think in large part they are there just because they don't sell out every game it's like i don't know there are a lot of complicated factors that go into that yeah the fans always that aren't just like we're good yeah come out 
Yeah, exactly. The fans do come out in every, like, there's no such thing as a small market team, I don't think, or a, or a small market even. Like, like there are always people to attract to the ballpark if you're really interested in attracting them to the ballpark. And it's really on the team itself to actually work at making people, like you said, it goes back to the Daniel Murphy thing, making everyone feel like welcome there. Like this is a space that like, they want you to come to. And I think that we're far away from owners really trying to uh, make it feel like, I mean, I mean, you know, they want to make it feel like an experience and all that. Like, oh, you come out to the ballpark yeah. and you get an experience and, you know, we'll gouge you and we'll, you know, you have to fork over a, a crap ton of money for it. Um, but then you get the experience of the ballpark and it's like, well, that's, I don't know. You're not really making it for everyone at that point. But yeah, they're not holding up their end of this, you know, baseball social contract, so to say, like, you know, downvote to Yankee Stadium, downvote to like stadiums like that, where they actually truly gouge you and you get like a very corporate experience, you know? Yeah. I just, I don't know. I think it's weird that we just sort of accept that we have to pay $12 for a hot dog. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like basic sustenance. Oftentimes baseball games are happening during dinner time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Sorry, I'm trying not to faint in the stands from hunger. <laughs> uh, it, yeah, I had another point, but I, I don't remember what I was gonna say. It's okay. I think we've, I think we've beat this horse to, to death sufficiently. All right, Alex, we had a bit of a break, but we came back in super hot on some very tipping pitches bullshit. <laughs> we really did, man. We kind of checked all the boxes in this one. We raged at <laughs> owners. We uh, raged at racism and homophobia and uh, <laughs> and all the good stuff. Fan, uh, players who play the game the wrong way. I I don't know. It's it's kind of fun to, to get back into the groove. Our podcast is like the living embodiment of like the Arthur meme with like the clenched <laughs> fist. That's how we feel a hundred percent of the time thinking about baseball and MLB as a whole. <laughs> I know pretty much. Well, they make it hard to watch, man. Um, all right, but let's end on a actually light note. Um, you actually pointed this out to me, I think, or, or like you tweeting about it, pointed it out to me. That's often how we communicate these days. Yeah. Um, so do you want to give me a quick recap of something that the, Miami Marlins did really well in this past week and a half. Uh, yeah. So, as you know, uh, Derek Jeter is now the head of the Miami Marlins. And much as we have really criticized him, um, there was a piece, there, there was a there was a fluff piece that came out about Jeter um, like last week that we we're not going to get. We don't have time to delve into right now. Um, but uh, there was one interesting tidbit that came out, and that's that um, the Marlins have. Um, kickstarted these Spanish language educational programs for their English speaking players, um, and the the aim is you know just to create a more cohesive clubhouse and actually um, 
lessen kind of the the burden off the Spanish-speaking players who, you know, are basically plopped into a country in a room full of people who do not speak the same language as them and have a, you know, wildly different culture. And so this is, frankly, a, a really good thing that the Marlins are doing that every team should be doing. And so, uh, you know, this is like the bare minimum, but give credit where credit is due on this. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is truly the definition of the bare minimum, but at least one team is doing it. Um, and, and not to mention, uh, Jeter's taking the, the lessons as well, which again, like every GM should be doing that. So you can actually talk to the, like, it's insane to me that Theo Epstein I think you mean, is, I think you mean CEO, Alex, he's the CEO. <laughs> He's the boss. Yes, he's the boss. The big Cap- boss. Capital B boss. Capital B boss. Capital C, capital E, capital O. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. The captain. <laughs> um, okay, do you want to know who this, the first person that popped into my mind when I heard about this? Yes. Nate McLeod. Yeah. 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 I think it was Kid Miro, who I saw it on my Twitter timeline. It was like, yo, we need this dude on the Yankees or something like that. <laughs> and everyone was like utterly shocked. And like, you know, I'm joking about it, but like on a more serious note, it's like, it's kind of ridiculous that we're that shocked that a white player can speak Spanish at a functional level when a lot of the players that he's playing with speak Spanish. <laughs> um, so it's, it's, a, it's a little sad. It's a little bittersweet, but... I think it was just funny to see Nate McLeod just like go straight into it with no hesitation. And I dream of a world where every baseball player can do that. I know. It would be nice. Here, you want to hear a take from Marlins man on this? I know you don't, but I'm going to read it to you anyway because no one wants to. We're the podcast that force feeds you Marlins (laughs) man takes. (laughs) Exactly. Um, This was about the Arania Acuna thing. Um, And he said, I'm still a Marlins fan, but... If this was intentional, it was a classless move, bush leak, and an embarrassment to baseball. Instead of Jeter demanding Marlins employees learn Spanish in USA, where our language is English, he should demand they play with class even when losing. Oh, my uh, God. That's, that's kind of nice, bud. I, I appreciate that you kind of melded our, our segments here and brought it all together. <laughs> Thank you, Marlins man. <laughs> oh, Marlins man is a Trump voter. Oh, absolutely. His bio is make September 11th first responders day. Our real heroes are our military and first responders. I love it. Oh God. Um, <laughs> yeah. Our language is English in U- in USA. I don't think so, buddy. Have you, how long have you lived here? Have you seen? Yeah. Marlon's man lives in fucking Miami. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The, oh, the, really? Yeah. That was my, that was my point is like, I can't believe that, that the Marlins haven't done this already. Like, seriously, you live, you are the team in Miami. Like, how are you, how do you not just, like, pick it up after a certain point, you know? Like, I feel like, I feel like I would just kind of living there and going out there. Yeah. Well, that's going to do it for another episode of Tipping Pitches.
did a lot of ranting and not a lot of raving on this one, but that's fine. The A's are good. That that makes me happy. That was my that was my brief rave. That was your your brief rave. You know, we do whatever baseball calls from us week to week. So hopefully next week, baseball will give us some good stuff to talk about. If you have suggestions for that good stuff, you're in luck because we check our Twitter DMs religiously. It's tipping underscore pitches. And we also check our Gmail, which is tippingpitchespod at gmail.com. Quick shout out to Radio Public. Please go listen to us on there if you want a good podcast app. The, I'm not a fan of the Apple Podcast app. And neither is Alex. He doesn't use it either. So, um, yeah, go listen on Radio Public. Check it out. We make money on there when you listen to it there. Alex, you got anything else to plug? Plug your plug your unemployment. If anyone's listening and wants to give you a job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Or just buy this podcast, man. Literally buy this podcast. We will quit our current jobs and uh, we'll make this podcast for you if you pay us a fair wage. Yeah, there you go. That's a real thing. I'm going to tweet out a clip of this and tag, like, at Deadspin, at ESPN, at Deadspin. <laughs> <laughs> no, I got, I, got, uh, I got nothing else to say. But, uh, but thanks for listening, y'all. PSA, go to A's games. Yeah. They've earned it. Yeah, there you go. Show up, man. Show up for the owners. They need you. <laughs> yeah. All right. But seriously, watch the A's because you know, they're fun and good. All right. That's all we got this week. Bye, y'all. All right. See you next week. Sand to the beach, hopped out the land with the sheep, skin rugs on the floor. We hug, made love on the seats. We tried to hide in the hills. We watched the sky turn peach. Summer's light, like summer's night. It's like Christ's masterpiece. She tastes like Corona light, sweet. Even the lime got a sweet.